Um, well, my name is Pastor Rice, one of the pastors here at East Bay, and it's a privilege for me to be able to open God's Word uh, this morning. And um, we're going to be talking about a, a, a topic that I think is probably um, applicable to all of us, and that is fear. You know, fear is something that we all experience, and it isn't necessarily bad. Um, one step of maturity is learning to fear what we should fear and learning to not be afraid of what we shouldn't be afraid. For example, we certainly want our little kids, right, to learn to be afraid of putting their hand on a hot burner, but we don't want them to be afraid of dark so that they're afraid to go to sleep. You know, so that's, that is part of, of what maturity is. Specifically, what we're going to talk about this morning is, is focusing on the fear of man. Uh, Paul makes the case that the fear of man is a significant issue because no person, no man can serve two masters. And, and so we read this in Galatians 1.10. Paul says, Am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Do you hear what Paul's saying there? Paul is saying that if we are living for the praise and the approval and the acceptance of other people, we will continually struggle in serving God. You could almost make a case that it's impossible because you can't serve two masters. So, um, before I get too far along here, let's talk about what does it mean to fear man? What, what we, how do we define the fear of man? I'm going to give you a couple different definitions here. One of them is this. It's an intense ruling desire to gain the approval and or avoid the disapproval of another person. An intense ruling desire to gain the approval and or avoid the disapproval of another. It can be said this way, it's to be more focused on what people think about me than what God says is true of me. Or another way is to be more concerned about my reputation than my character. Now, now what's the difference between, between those two? Reputation is what other people think about me, and certainly scripture says that's important. But character is what is true of what's going on inside of me. Therefore, character development should be so much more important to us than our reputation as we cannot control what other people think of us. All right, now, what I'd like to do next is, is for us to just take a moment and take a look at some of the symptoms of the fear of man and, and see if you recognize yourself in any of these symptoms, okay? Um, I'm going to go through this, this list here. Uh, the first one is the fear of sharing the gospel. You know, fear of man, a fear of sharing the gospel. I, I, um, when I was 16 years of age, I had open heart surgery. Um, the hospital that I went to did a surgery in the morning and a surgery in the afternoon. And so after I was done with my surgery, I was put back into my room. And there was a gentleman, an older gentleman, who came to my room, and, and uh, he was having surgery later in the afternoon. And you could look in his face, and he was absolutely terrified. As you can imagine, he was scared. And, you know, so as a young kid, he comes into my room. He wanted to know, hey, what was it like? You know, how was it? He's asking me these questions. And I know the Spirit of God was saying to me, Sheldon, share the gospel with this man. He was terrified. He was looking, right? And, and I, I have never forgotten this. this is, I mean, so long ago. And, and I gave in to the fear of man. I, I didn't share the gospel. I prayed for that man um, since then that he would come to faith. But I didn't share with him. Why? Because I was afraid. And, and I, I feel really bad about that because I know God's spirit was telling me, hey, say something to this man. So that's one. You know, the fear of man, we're afraid to share the gospel. How about this one? As a parent, 
Letter B, do you struggle as a parent to discipline your child? Why? Because you want their approval, and you're afraid if you discipline them that you might lose it. Or, or maybe as a parent, you do discipline your child, right? Especially when they misbehave in public. But, it, but it's not because you're concerned about their character, but it's you're concerned about what other people think about you as a parent. Or how about letter D? You, you can't disagree with others or stand in when other people disagree with you. Or, or, or letter E. You, you feel threatened when someone loves you enough to point out something in your life that's not godly. Or, or letter F, if, if, if you keep people at a distance, you keep people at a distance because you're afraid if they really got to know who you were, they might not like you and they'd reject you. And so you, you, you're afraid to be open and honest with, with people. Or, or letter G, you try to achieve status to impress others, it, whether that might be seen in, in the type of car you drive or, or, or the, the, the house that you own or the style of clothing that you wear, just to mention a few. And obviously, there's nothing the matter with, with a car, a house, clothing. But, but really, the question is why. I mean, if you have those things to try to gain approval of others, then that's a concern. Or, or letter H, you work really, really hard, but not as unto the Lord, but, but so that others will think well of you. Or, or I, you, you, you have to maintain control and be in charge, otherwise you feel threatened by others. Or letter J, you, you, you stay trapped in sin because you're afraid to be honest and, and admit your sin and, and you need help with other people, but, but the fear of, of man keeps you from exposing that and, and being honest and because you're, you're too ashamed. And, and maybe in a summary way, you're, you're constantly thinking about others instead of thinking about what, what God thinks. Do you see yourself in any of those? I know I do. And for that reason, I'm going to stop and we're going to pray. We're going to ask God just to help us. Okay, can we do that? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the teaching of your word. Thank you, Father, for the spirit of God that you've given to us to convict us, to encourage us, to help us, to illuminate the scriptures to our hearts and minds. Father, we pray that as we talk about this, this topic that, that I know I struggle with, and I think many in this room probably do as well, that, that you would not only, Lord, show us areas where, where we, we have struggles in this, but Lord, that, that you would illuminate our minds and, and help us to see how we can, we can address this and find victory and, so that we don't have to be trapped in this, this fear, but Lord, that we can find freedom in you. And so I pray, Father, do your work in this place today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we've talked about a definition of what the fear of man is. We, we've talked about some symptoms of that. But I'm going to ask you this question. Is it ever okay to want to please men? I mean, is that ever all right? Um, and I want to suggest to you, it depends. It depends. It depends on why you want to please people. You know, we already saw in Galatians 1.10 that Paul clearly says that pleasing God has to be a higher priority than trying to please men. But then in 1 Corinthians 10, 33, Paul says that he's trying to please people, he's trying to please everyone in every way. So, I mean, so how are we supposed to understand this? So let's take a look. Let's take a look at, at, at this passage. I mean, if you want it, turn in your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 31 to 33, certainly would encourage you. I'm going to also have the scriptures up, up on the screen. 
uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 to 33. But how should we understand what Paul is getting at here? Okay, let's read it together. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. So, so what does it say here? It says Paul says he's trying to please people, but, but, but why? Why is he doing that? Well, Paul says he first wants to do all to the glory of God. This is not about Paul. Notice he says in verse 33, I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they might be saved. Paul's motivation is that he wants to glorify God by sharing the gospel with others, and he wants to do it in such a way as to not be un unduly offensive to them. That's why in 1 Corinthians 9.22, Paul says it this way. He says, I've become all things to all men, so that by all means I might win some, for I do this for the sake of the gospel. So, so he doesn't want to put anything in front of people that would hinder them from being saved. You know, for example, Paul says, so when I, when I was with the Jews, I became like a Jew. So, and what does that mean? It means he's, he's willing, for example, to follow the, the Jewish dietary standards so that he doesn't put an unduly offense in front of them that would hinder them from hearing the gospel message. Paul's motivation was always to bring glory to God by sharing the gospel. So, is, is it ever okay for us to want to please people? I think so. I think it is. But it all depends on why. Why are you trying to please people? And I want to suggest to you that, that seeking to please people is not the same as the fear of man. The reason I say that is because the fear of man is always self-focused, right? While pleasing others can be focused on others for their good. It may not always be, but it can be focused on others for their good. And that's why I think that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 24, nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Now, one word of caution about all of this, and that is it's easy for us to justify our fear of man by saying we're really just looking out for others when the reality is we're trying to please people so that we look loving when really we're just serving ourselves. In other words, we love to look loving even though we really aren't. You follow that? Now, that's a word of, of, of caution related to all of that. All right, so... We've given a definition of the fear of man. We, we've considered some of the symptoms of the fear of man. We, we've tried to answer the question, is it ever okay to seek to please men? Let's do this then. Let's take a look at Scripture and see what does it say about the fear of man. So if you have your Bible, turn to Proverbs 29. Proverbs 29, 25. This is the only verse in the Bible that specifically um, talks about the, the fear of man and its end results. There are other places that, that, that talk about it, but, but Proverbs 29, 25. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. First of all, what are the negative consequences of fearing, of fearing people? The writer of Proverbs says, The fear of man will prove to be a snare. Now, a snare is... It's a trap. You feel controlled. You feel 
in, in prisons. That he uses this description here of a snare. A, a snare is, is a trap that is set to capture an animal. It's usually set in a pathway that is common to the animal, and then it's disguised so that the animal is not aware of it and doesn't see it, but then they run into it, and then they're caught. And, and the Bible teaches us two important lessons here about the fear of man. One of them is it relies on disguise, and secondly, it's intended to harm us, to ensnare us, to trap us. So we could ask this question, well, how does the fear of man ensnare you? Well, you end up being controlled by what everybody else thinks about you. It causes you to be insecure as you're building your life on something that you have no ability to control. You know, when you're looking to others for affirmation about yourself so you can feel good about yourself, you're always going to be held captive to the whims of what others think about you. If you want to be frustrated as a person, just set a goal that you have no control over whether you can accomplish it or not. I'll say that again. If you want to be frustrated as a person, just set a goal that you have no control over whether you can accomplish it or not. And you realize that no matter what you do, you cannot control what people think about you. I mean, think about the example of Jesus. He was perfect. He always did everything right. And what did people think about him? I mean, they hated him so much they wanted to kill him, and they did. And as a result of the fear of man, there's insecurity, instability, and, and it becomes a controlling desire that you have no control over. Now, we've been doing this study on Sunday mornings for quite some time now um, with, with King Saul and, and with King David. And, with David. and, and so... I'm going to just take a moment here and, and take a look at King Saul and see this illustrated the fear of man in his life. So in, in 1 Samuel 15, 3, God tells King Saul, some of you may remember this, this message a number of weeks ago, now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. So that's the command that God gives, gives to the king. Okay? And then in 1 Samuel 15, 9, we read this. It says, but Paul and the army spared King Agag, and the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. King Saul did not obey the Lord, and when he was confronted about it, in 1 Samuel 15, 24, he says, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's commands and your instructions. And notice what he says here. I was afraid of the people, and so I gave in to them. I mean, as a result of King Saul's fear of man, he rebelled against the Lord and did not obey him. Saul feared man more than God, and as a result, he set himself up against God. And I don't know about you, but I can't think of anything that is more dangerous and deranged than trying to make war with God. I want you to notice that the fear of man is not something to be taken lightly. It is a form of idolatry and pride. King Saul was looking to man instead of God for his approval. And do you realize that any time that we look to anyone else or anything else other than God for our approval, that's idolatry? And somehow King, King Saul rationalized that disobeying God and doing things his way was better than following God. I mean, that's pride. And yet, how often are we caught in the same sin? 
It feels like a prison when, when you so desperately want people to think well of you, and yet no matter what you do, someone is going to be disappointed. I think that's often the experience that, that children of divorce may feel, especially when there's been a lot of animosity between the, the, the father and the mother in the divorce, between the parents. You know, let, let's say that the, 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 the child wants to, to please both parents, and he wants to spend time with, with both parents, but yet when you spend time with, with the dad, mom's upset. And when you spend time with, with mom, dad's upset. And so it doesn't matter what the child does, somebody's not going to be happy. I think that's exactly the reason why the scripture says it's like a snare, it's a trap, it's like a living hell because no matter what you do, somebody's going to be upset. In King Saul's situation, it was obey God and possibly experience the disapproval of the people or disobey God and possibly experience the approval of the people. You understand, King Saul's problem was he feared man more than he feared God. And that really helps us to move into the next point, that, and that is this. What is the remedy to the fear of man? Well, notice back in, in Proverbs 29, 25, it says, the fear of man will prove to be a snare, to trap. It, it, it tangles you up. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. The remedy is a deep, abiding, and growing trust in God. We must find our refuge not in the praise and the approval of men, but in the arms of God. Because the scripture says, then we are found safe. We must fear God more than we fear man. Proverbs 14, 27 says it this way. It says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain. That, that one may turn away from the snares of death. Now there's that word again, snares. You see that? Right? The fear of man's a snare. You want to be free from, the free from snares? Fear of God, as it says. You know, there are many fears that lead to bondage and eventually death, but there is one fear, right, that's deep and overflowing. It's a fountain of security and stability and joy, and that is the fear of the Lord. Only that fear leads to peace. I mean, if God is small in our eyes and others are big, the eyes of others will frighten us. Their expectations will trap us. Their disappointment will crush us. Their anger will undo us. To be free from the enslaving fear of others, God has to be big. God has to be bigger than others' expectations and disappointments and anger. God has to be big enough for us to fear. Edwin Welch, um, in, in a book entitled When People Are Big and God is Small, says this. This is a quote. All experiences of the fear of man share at least one common feature. People are big. They have grown to idolatrous proportion in our lives. They control us. Since there is no room in our heart to worship both God and people, whenever people are big, God is not. Therefore, the first task in escaping the snare of the fear of man is to know that God is awesome and glorious and not other people. I mean, the first task is not to diminish other people, their desires, opinions, and expectations. Rather, the first task is to elevate God, His power, His wisdom, His love, His wrath. Let the bigness of God expose and quiet your fear of man, and then you'll be free to love people as you ought. 
Now, before I go any further, I want to talk, because we've been talking about the fear of God. So what does that mean? What's the definition for the fear of God? You know, Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So what does this mean? What are we talking about here? All right? So a couple of definitions, the fear of God. It is a heart-level embrace of the intensity of His holy and sovereign authority over all. It's one definition for the fear of God. It's an admission of how small, sinful, and undeserving we are next to the greatness and the holiness of God, and yet we dare in Christ to draw near. Or, or this definition, it is a, a reverential respect in all that we have of God, desiring to honor Him and bring Him glory. So this fear doesn't drive us away from God, this fear drives us to God. So how, how does the fear of God conquer our fear of man? Well, Isaiah the prophet explains it this way. This is Isaiah 8, 12 to 14. And, and he says this, Do not call conspiracy everything these people call a conspiracy. we got lots of conspiracy stuff going on around these days, don't we? Um, he says this, Do not fear what they fear, and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you you are to dread. And then he says what? And he says, and he will become a sanctuary. You know, only when God is our greatest spirit can he become our safest place. Only when he is so holy and awesome in our eyes that we desire to please him above all will we find a sense of peace. Only when we choose to live for the approval of God and not men will we be free. And so I could ask this question, you know, is your greatest desire this morning to please God? Or are you trying to please men? I mean, think about the Apostle Peter. You remember the, the night that, that Jesus was arrested. Remember, Peter trailed behind a, a ways in a distance. He wanted, to, he wanted to see what was going to happen. Do you remember that? But when he was confronted by this young servant girl, he feared man instead of God, and in the, in the moment, what did he do? He denied the Lord. And that same Peter, writing to the persecuted Christians in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, says it this way. He says, even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. And look what he says. He says, do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. If Jesus Christ is the Lord of our lives and we see him as the sovereign ruler of all, then we don't need to fear anything else because we know that he is in control of all things, including ourselves, including our lives. And so the cure of the fear of man, we have to see Jesus who died for us as fearfully and wonderfully holy. We need to stop fearing wrongly and learn to fear rightly. Again, 1 Peter Peter says it this way, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 to 19. He says, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, he says, live out your time as foreigners. Look, here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. No, he says, you are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. I mean, what's the reason that we're susceptible to the fear of men? Because every one of us was created with a desire to be accepted and not 
rejected. And you realize that desire to be accepted is God-given. And it was designed to drive us to God. For only in God can we truly find the unconditional acceptance we truly desire. This acceptance is not based on what our people think about us, though. We've already said that's fickle. That's forever changing. No, our acceptance, our redemption is not based on what we do. It's based on what Jesus Christ has done. So notice what he says here. What does Peter say in 1 Peter 1.19? He says that we are redeemed. The price has been paid by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The reality is we're all sinners. We're all separated from God, and we by nature are children of wrath. And if we were to perish in our sin, we would experience the awful wrath of God. But because of Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven. He paid the penalty for our sin, which the Scriptures tells us is death and separation from God, so that now we can be brought near to God. And it is only because of the precious blood of Jesus being shed that we can even enter into the holy presence of God and have a relationship. You realize Jesus Christ was rejected by you. He went to the cross so that you and I could be fully accepted by God, never to be rejected by God. So when we are secure in our relationship with God, when we know that we are fully accepted and loved by the one that matters most, right? Then the expectation desires of other people will find their rightful place in our lives. You're only able to enter into this relationship with God because you acknowledge your sinfulness. You're willing to repent of your sin and you're willing to trust in Jesus Christ's death as a substitute, right? As a substitutionary payment for your sin. So now you can be found in Christ and have his righteousness put to your account. We need to learn to replace the idolatry of reputation with the gospel of adoption. We are freed by the fear of what others think of us when we realize what God thinks of us and remember who he is. When we know that we are loved by the one that matters most, then we are secure and we don't have to be undone if we're rejected by, by people. So the antidote... The antidote for the fear of man is to replace it with the fear of God and to realize that this same God of whom I am unworthy of loves me with a radical love. He loved me enough to die for me when I was still in rebellion against him. You realize the opposite of fear is not courage, right? You realize that. The opposite of fear is love. You can still act with courage even though you're afraid. I mean, for example, let, let's say that a mom takes their, their kids to the, to, the, uh, to, the, to the swimming pool, right? Mom's terrified of water. Takes the kids there, and so she's staying pretty far away from the pool. Kids are playing in the shallow end, supposedly, right? And she looks up, and one of her ch child has fallen in the deep end. What does the mom do? She's terrified of the deep end. She runs with all of her strength and might, and she jumps in, and she rescues that child. Why? Because you realize there's a greater love that she has, right, that overcomes her fear. And that's that love she has for that child. And that's why the scripture says perfect love casts out fear. If we live our lives in fear of other people think of us, we will not truly live. We will live in a cage of fear. Right? When we live like that, we're only thinking about ourselves. We're not being motivated by the love for God or the love for other people. 
I mean, what are the truths of the gospel that we need to remember daily so we can be set free from the fear of man? I'm going I'm to only mention three. That's all I have time for. But these are the kind of things we need to continue to remind ourselves, these truths about who is God so we have a proper understanding of who God is, we have a proper understanding of who we are to help us to overcome this fear of man. Um, we are adopted into God's family because of Christ, right? And because of that, these things are true. So number one, righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So when God looks at you and me, because we are in Christ, we are not only forgiven, all of our sins have been removed from us, praise God, but that's only half the story. The other half of the story is the righteousness of God has been put to our accounts. That's how God sees us. How about this one? We're accepted. Romans 8.1 said there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You realize all the condemnation was put on Jesus on the cross. There is no more condemnation left for you if you're in Christ. There's no condemnation, right? Um, Romans 15.7 says, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. You understand that in Christ you are fully accepted by God. And it's not based on what you do. It's based on what Jesus Christ has done. Love. Romans 8.39, this is just the last part of that passage, says, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you are in Christ, these things are true of you. And you need to replay these things in your mind and remind yourselves of these truths. I mean, what's the basis of our adoption, our legal status changing from an orphan to a child? Is it something we've done? If it was, we'd be in trouble, right? No, it's not based on what we've done. It's totally based on what Jesus Christ has done for us. But for us to enjoy this reputation and, and gain the character that goes with it, we have to give up our attempts at finding our approval in others. We have to stop putting our faith in what others think of us and humbly welcome what God the Father says is true of us. When you're tempted to fear what people, fear man, you need to run to the safety of Jesus and be reminded of his acceptance and approval. We need to do this daily through spending time in God's word, through, through confession, through repentance, through community, through worship. These are graces that God has given to us that we need to take advantage of. And now that we know that we are fully accepted by God in Christ, we are free to live our lives to please God and to truly serve others. So we push out people-pleasing with a greater desire, and that is a, a desire to be pleasing to God. You know, Jesus said it this way in John 5.30. He says, I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.9 says it this way, so we make it our goal to please him, that is Christ, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. Is your greatest desire here this morning to be pleasing to God? The people pleaser is driven to please others for their acceptance and worth, but the Christian is already accepted by God, so now they can strive to please God, right, and serve other people for God's glory, and they don't need man's approval. So we push out the fear of man, 
with a greater fear, the fear of God. We, we push out people pleasing with a greater desire to be pleasing to God. The fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. The warning of Scripture is that the fear of man is a trap that puts us in bondage. And the remedy of the fear of man is a greater fear of God. The remedy of people pleasing is a, is a greater desire to be pleasing to God. Those who put their trust in God alone for their acceptance, Scripture says, are, found, are kept safe. And again, I want to stand up here and tell you, I am preaching to myself this morning. Because I struggle with this. I mean, do you see evidence of the fear of man in your life? I mean, do you understand why this is such a big deal? You can't fear God and man at the same time. You can't look to both God and man to find your acceptance. God's acceptance of you in Christ has to be foundational. Otherwise, you're going to be driven by the fears of man and you will continually be insecure. And my guess is some of you in this room know exactly what I'm talking about. So why not today? Why not today acknowledge your sin of looking to people to define you and repent and place your trust in God alone to be the one who defines you? Why not acknowledge that you, you've been fearing man instead of fearing God and today you want to allow him to have his rightful place in your life? Even as Paul said, allow him to be your Lord. He's the only one that you worship and you bow down and you reverence and hold him in awe and respect. You know, I, perhaps for the first time, maybe some of you realize that you don't have a relationship with God. I mean, you thought that having a relationship with God meant you had to do all these good things to be good enough so God could accept you, but you realize today that, you know what, God's holy. And no matter how much good you do, you'll never be perfect. I mean, if that's you, I, I just want to encourage you to acknowledge your sin before God. That's what the cross, that's the significance of the cross is all about. Is Jesus paid that price so you could be forgiven, you could be cleansed, you could be his child. But you need to acknowledge your sin and be willing to repent. Just turn away from it with God's help and turn to God and trust in Jesus' death on the cross as a payment for you personally. And that he raised again from the dead and he wants to enter into your life and help you to live this new life. So if you've never done that, that would be my challenge for you. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads and let's pray. God in heaven, give us a healthy respect and awe for who you are. God, I, I pray that for each and one of us in this room, Lord, that, that, that we've identified that we struggle with, with this fear, that we fear man. Lord, I pray, help us to have a greater respect and awe, a greater fear for you. Lord, that Jesus went to the cross to answer the question about whether our acceptance and our value and worth comes from. And it only comes from you. And so I pray, Father, you know, and if this is true for you and you're willing, I mean, repent. Ask God to help you to have victory. God, I pray that you would help, help individuals in this room today, Lord, to to stop looking to others for their acceptance and approval, that me, me included. And Lord, to, to look to you alone.
Lord, I know this isn't a once and done. I know this is something that, that we have got to continually work at. And so I pray, Father, as well, help us. Help us to use those measures of grace that you've given to us in your word and, and in prayer and, and in meditation, in the community of believers, in worship. Lord, that we would be changed from the inside out. That we'd be pushing out these, this fear and we'd be pushing out this, this desire to find acceptance in men and instead, Lord, that we'd push it out with a desire to be pleasing to you instead. Lord, I do pray for any in this room today who they're not a believer. I, I pray, Father, that you would bring your spirit upon them, help them to have their eyes open, but Lord, as well, help them to see their sin and see how wonderful of a Savior Jesus Christ is. Lord, that they would come to faith today. Thank you for your love for us, Lord. May that love cast out our fear. May it drive us to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.